KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Good morning, I'm Annika Colbert. It's Wednesday, February 3rd. Is there bias among San Diego's sheriff deputies? We'll have that story next, but first, let's do the headlines. For the first time since the end of November, San Diego health officials reported less than 1,000 new COVID-19 cases in one day. On Tuesday, the daily case count was 926, with 10 additional deaths. This as the county opened its fourth vaccination superstation at Grossmont Center Shopping Mall in La Mesa. Volunteers are welcome there to help keep the long lines moving. And a smaller vaccine site opened in San Isidro at Southwestern College campus. UC San Diego Health also announced it'll open another vaccination superstation at its campus for qualifying UCSD health patients, faculty, and staff. Daily vaccinations in California have nearly quadrupled in the past month. State Health and Human Services Secretary Dr. Mark Galley says three and a half million residents have now been vaccinated with attention paid to both speed and equity. This as Trinity County and Alpine County have been moved from the red tier to the less restrictive orange coronavirus tier. Meanwhile, 54 of California's 58 counties are still in the most restrictive purple tier. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Several Black Lives Matter protesters allege that the San Diego County Sheriff's deputies not only ignored MAGA counter-protesters' assaults at Poway rallies, but that the deputies even seemed to sympathize. Sheriff Bill Gore has since denied any bias by deputies. KPBS's Amitha Sharma has more. Rancho Bernardo High School senior Gabriela Sanchez-Moore says when she heard students from a nearby campus had organized BLM rallies in Poway in November, she wanted in. It's just important that these students know that they're being heard and they're being listened to and we're going to fight for them. But Sanchez-Moore didn't expect to experience this. A counter-protester shouting, white power. The 17-year-old says some of the MAGA counter-protesters also pushed a teen BLM supporter to the street. But she says San Diego County Sheriff's deputies on the scene did not act. She was crying and she was trying to talk to the police and ask for help. But the police ended up telling her that because she was a minor and she didn't have a parent there, they weren't going to do anything. Sheriff Bill Gore says he is unfamiliar with that incident. So far, he says deputies have filed 11 reports stemming from BLM protests in Poway 
since May. He could not provide a breakdown of how many were on behalf of BLM protesters or MAGA counter-protesters. Gore says the department screens all deputy applicants for ties to white supremacist or far-right groups. And he says the vetting continues once they're on the force. And as of yet, he has found no deputies involved with extremists. We work on it constantly in our training. We talk about equitable, fair, and unbiased policing. Jennifer, who only wanted her first name used because she fears retribution, wonders if some deputies have actually absorbed that training. She says one day in November, she saw racist members of the group Defend East County, or DEC, some wearing knives around their waists and carrying a noise machine, encircle the teen BLM protesters. Jennifer says deputies close by appeared unmoved. The attitude was, if you come out here to protest, this is what you get. Later that day, Jennifer says a deputy refused to file a report after counter-protesters shoved a 20-something BLM protester onto the street. His position was, until all of you leave and this girl is the only person left, I'm not doing anything. I refuse to call another officer. Gore says the deputy didn't file the report because he lacked sufficient backup. To go in and try to take a police report would have further inflamed the situation. But Jennifer says a video of that same deputy talking to MAGA DEC people just moments later shows he's biased toward one side. Gore says the video must be viewed in context. The sheriff says the deputy was trying to keep both sides apart while listening to a complaint from a DEC counter-protester. And the deputy, best I could tell, saying, I've got this. In other words, we're going to separate them and you don't have to do it. That's how I interpret it. And then that's what the deputy says his intentions were. Still, Sanchez Moore says she can't shake her belief that sheriff's deputies favor the far right. We saw a group of the MAGA supporters talking to the cops and they were fist bumping and shaking hands and laughing. Gore says the glad handing was really intel gathering. If somebody comes up and they want to fist bump you, it's hard for you to put yourself in a deputy's position when you're trying to develop rapport with these individual groups to say, get away from me, I can't talk to you. So I can see how it could be interpreted that, oh, they're friendly with one side. But University of Illinois at Chicago Law School professor Samuel Jones, who specializes in police accountability, says that kind of public display discredits the sheriff's department. By appearing to be biased, by appearing to ignore the rights of any American in favor of another American, they are essentially engaging in conduct on becoming of a police officer. Jones says the department's handling of the protests and counter-protests could dissuade BLM supporters from attending rallies, as was the case with Gabriela Sanchez-Moore. If something were to happen to me, I don't know what help I would receive. Gore says he's disheartened by that sentiment. My commitment is to try to have those resources there so that doesn't happen, so they do feel safe. I can't make them safe from hateful things or hurtful things that are said, but I can protect them from physical danger. If we were unable to do that, I'll take responsibility for that. And that reporting from KPBS's Amitha Sharma. The San Diego City budget looks worse and worse as the pandemic continues. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says budget cuts could come sooner than expected. 
The months-long surge in coronavirus infections and the resulting stay-at-home order led to a massive shortfall in San Diego's hotel tax revenues. A report released this week says the city will have to find more than $85 million in savings over the next five months or dip into its reserves. Councilmember Sean Ela Rivera said Tuesday any cuts should take into account which neighborhoods are suffering the most. The reality is that the impact of a reduction of a library or park and rec hours is simply not the same for a neighborhood where the average family can afford tutors or enrichment programs as it is for a family that is barely getting by. A federal relief package proposed by President Biden with direct aid to cities could spare San Diego from draconian budget cuts, but first it must pass Congress. And that story from KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen. President Biden signed a series of executive orders regarding immigration this week, and one of the orders aims to reunite families separated at the border by the previous administration. KPBS's Max Rivlin-Nadler reports. Under the executive order, the Department of Homeland Security will launch an interagency task force to reunify the remaining separated families. The work has so far been done by advocacy groups with limited assistance from the government. But several years have passed since the separations, making the job even harder. Erica Pinheiro is an attorney with El Otro Lado, one of the groups that has worked to reunite families. She's frustrated the Biden administration is not taking immediate action. Creating a task force doesn't mean you're reunifying families. It means you're going to have a lot of meetings about what you're going to do to reunify families. Two other executive orders issued on Tuesday address the root causes of migration from Central America and the treatment of asylum seekers when they arrive at the southwest border. And that story from KPBS's Max Rivlin-Nadler. After months of speculation, former San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner made his run for California governor official. He made the announcement with a video on Monday night and then a news conference on Tuesday. KPBS reporter John Carroll says Republicans see Faulkner as their best shot at unseating Governor Gavin Newsom. Faulkner released a slick two-and-a-half-minute video announcing his run for governor Monday night. On Tuesday, he held a rally to personally announce the run in the L.A. suburb of San Pedro. No word from the campaign on why it was held there. Faulkner has raised more than a million dollars since launching an exploratory committee a few weeks ago, but UC San Diego political science professor Thad Kauser says he'll need a lot more than that. Kevin Faulkner is going to need 30, 50, 60 million dollars to get a message out there that is different than just the Republican brand. An effort to recall Gavin Newsom has until March 17th to gather more than one and a half million signatures. If it succeeds, there will be a special election this fall. If not, Faulkner plans to run in the 2022 election. And that story from KPBS's John Carroll. Coming up, half of the people who are eligible for CalFresh drop out of the program even though they're still eligible for it. We'll have that story next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by 
Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. A new report shows that more than half of California households that leave the CalFresh Food Assistance Program do so while still eligible. CAP Radio's Mike Haggerty talked to Matt Unreth, a research fellow at the California Policy Lab at UC Berkeley, who wrote the analysis. We know that about one in three households who are eligible for CalFresh don't participate in the program. Uh, And it's long been suspected by policymakers and advocates that Uh, administrative burdens make it hard for folks to enroll in the program and to remain enrolled uh, while they're already in. So what we do is we use uh, enrollment data from the last 15 years for the CalFresh program, and we look at what predicts why households might leave the program. And we find that when households have to jump through a bureaucratic hoop, submit some type of paperwork demonstrating that they're eligible, which happens about every six months, that households are about six times more likely to leave the program again, when they have to submit that paperwork. Wow. Now, Matt, how tough is that paperwork? It varies. There's different requirements, whether it's a a full annual, what they call recertification or a semi-annual report, but this is a multi-page form. You have to relist the people who are in your household. You have to identify how much you're spending on particular expenses, demonstrate how much you've earned in the last month, and in some cases, complete an interview with a local caseworker. So staying in the program sounds to me like a higher bar even than continuing unemployment insurance. It's fairly complicated. There's some expectation that the shorter semi-annual report might be easy. But again, in our research, we show that uh, more than half of households don't remain enrolled past that first eligibility check-in. The people who do leave, do you have any data on if, when, and how they come back? Half of households will re-enroll within two years, but the concern is that a lot of eligible households may never come back. The process is so burdensome, they might be deterred and turned off by how complicated it is to remain enrolled in the program. And what exactly is it that they're walking away from? How much assistance do they get if they stay in the program? It depends on how large your household is. The average benefit amount is about $200 per month. But if you're a larger household, you have a number of children, you know, you could be walking away from you know, $500 a month, which is really valuable assistance. Uh, It's critical for helping families uh, make ends meet uh, during what are, you know, often very challenging economic times. Well, and and especially uh, during the pandemic, we have heard the term food scarcity a great deal. What are your recommendations as far as fixing this so that we're not actually making it difficult for people to stay with the program who really need it? As you suggested, enrollment in CalFresh reached record highs in the spring amidst the the global pandemic. There are long lines at uh, food pantries across the state. So short-term solutions, which the state did pursue and the federal government allowed, was to suspend some of these eligibility check-ins to to allow households to, to remain enrolled a little bit longer without having to go to a local county welfare office and demonstrate their eligibility. But long-term, we should think about how we can improve participation. Again, even before the pandemic, one in three households who were eligible for the program didn't enroll. Uh, And one arguably very easy way is to not ask households to jump through all of these bureaucratic hoops as often as we do. If most folks who are in the program are still eligible, uh, maybe asking them to submit a, a tremendous amount of paperwork, 
list everything that they spend, uh, you know, the, what they spend money on, asking them to submit documentation of, of their earnings, uh, you know, is unhelpful in helping us uh, target the program. That was Matt Unruh at the nonpartisan California Policy Lab at UC Berkeley talking with CAP Radio's Mike Haggerty. Unruh has a report out showing that the paperwork required to reapply for CalFresh makes it harder for those eligible to enroll and then to re-verify their eligibility, which they must do so every six months. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.